Good evening, good to see you tonight. Hope you had a good afternoon and glad we can uh, be back together tonight. We're going to be taking, looking at a few different scriptures uh, tonight, so I hope you have your Bibles and you'll uh, follow along with me. We'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we'll be here uh, in just a few minutes. Um, I do want to again remind you guys about some activities we've got going on um, Tomorrow night is Wings and Wisdom for the men, so I hope that you'll show up for that. Men, if you're willing to make some wings, uh, we will certainly eat them for you. Uh, so if you'll make them and, and uh, bring them, we'll, make, we'll take care of those. Just let me know if you want to make some of those. I was reminded very uh, nicely that there is also a ladies' event this week. Uh, puzzles and Pie, right? Is that right? Okay. Faith got on to me. Uh, so Puzzles and Pie are this Friday at... Six o'clock. So, ladies, I hope that you'll take advantage of that opportunity as well uh, to spend some time together and that sort of thing. Do have the Love Where You Live weekend coming up. Make sure you sign up for those uh, service projects. Really hope that you will uh, take advantage of that opportunity uh, simply to, to love Cookville, uh, to love where you live. Uh, make sure that people know uh, about that and that sort of thing. Uh, lots of other things going on that I'll probably forgotten something important and someone else will tell me about that later. Uh, but uh, if you just to make sure you check the, uh, the bulletin, one of my very favorite Facebook memes or TikTok or whatever else it might be is, uh, you know, some people come up uh, after, especially church-related, you know, people come up and say, I never knew anything about that. It's only been in the bulletin for six months. Uh, so if you'll look at the bulletin, the information is there. Uh, if you'll take it out, if you'll check that out, you, you would know uh, what is going on. Tonight we're talking, uh, continuing about uh, sexuality, and tonight we're talking about sexuality in the American Christian uh, so what does it look like for us uh, in America on this, this topic? I first wrote this sermon, uh, I've adjusted it a little bit for tonight, uh, but I first wrote this sermon, uh, or at least my copy is from 2015. That doesn't sound like a whole long time ago, it's eight years ago, uh, but can I suggest to you that was a simpler time? Can I suggest to you that just, just eight years ago on the topic of sexuality, it was a simpler time? Uh, tonight, uh, this lesson written, you know, eight years ago in 2015, will deal primarily with the topic of homosexuality, uh, and that was really at the time, you know, equal rights for marriage was the big deal. Uh, we weren't thinking about transgenderism. We weren't thinking about being binary or non-binary. We weren't thinking about all of those issues and so many other issues that have uh, come up and, and really, you know, homosexuality is is not the primary thing anymore when we're thinking about sexuality in America. That's not the issue anymore. That's not a good thing that it's not the issue anymore. It's gotten even more radical than that, uh, even more extreme than that, uh, to the point where, you know, if we were just fighting, just fighting or standing against homosexuality, I think in some ways that would be a lot easier uh, than what we're dealing with and what we're facing. And that's probably not, it's not unique to America. It's not unique to our culture. It's not unique to our timetable, uh, our time period. Uh, this, these are things that will, you know, we will deal with this as a nation. We will succeed. We will fail one or the other uh, in this. Uh, and, you know, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, if the, if the world stands that long, uh, we will have handled that in some form or fashion, whether succeed or fail, and in some other part of the country, in some other part of the world, excuse me, uh, it will come up again. Uh, and these things come around. There's truly nothing new under the sun. Uh, they were dealing with problems like this in the first century, and if the world stands, they'll deal with problems like this in the 31st century. Uh, they will deal with these things. So how can we as Christians, 
And specifically as American Christians, how do we deal with uh, issues like this? Again, like I said, uh, the, the information that I have will be primarily concerned with homosexuality. I would say more than likely if I were looking for similar information about transgenderism or binary and non-binary, uh, that information will be harder to come by. I will say this. Here's another reason. If you want to know the specifics, if you want to know that topic specifically, transgenderism, that's what we're having the Wednesday night series uh, in May on. So those guys will have done the research biblically. Uh, they have looked at the stats. They will have all of that information. If you're interested in, in knowing where we stand uh, as a nation, as a culture on that, then that's, those are the classes that you need to come to. Those are the things that you need to come to. And, and the purpose of all of this is, is not just, it is certainly not to, uh, to berate or belittle people who struggle with sin. That is not the purpose of those series. Uh, the purpose of those series is for us to figure out, okay, where do we stand? Where are we at? What's it look like? And what can we do to help specifically our children, our grandchildren, the people that we have influence on? Uh, so I hope that you'll come and be a part of those things uh, here in, uh, in the, the year, the month, the year of May, uh, the month of May. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and go with this. And again, it, it will talk about homosexuality, but all of these things will be true for uh, more current um, and, and contemporary issues, perhaps. Uh, homosexuality is increasing. You can tell that simply by the eye test, can't you? Uh, simply by looking around and recognizing what people think about that, uh, people who are involved in that type of lifestyle, uh, that sort of thing is increasing. But we can also know it from the, uh, from the stats. Uh, in the, the 2000 census, uh, which is, seems to me that doesn't seem like very long ago, but that was 23 years ago. Uh, it's ancient history for a lot of us. Uh, there's a good portion of people who are here this morning or this evening who are not alive in 2000. Okay, uh, I'm old. Uh, so so that um, doesn't seem like that long ago to me. But uh, in the 2000 census, there were 594,391 uh, reporting same-sex couples. Okay, so on their census, uh, the number that was extrapolated from census numbers was that there would be an, uh, around 594,000 uh, same-sex couples in America. Uh, in 2010, 10 years later, uh, the, the estimate would be that it would be 901,000, almost 902,000 same-sex couples. And these would be same-sex married couples, okay? Which, again, in 2000, uh, there were fewer, far fewer states where uh, same-sex marriage was legal, was, a, was even a possibility, okay? Uh, so these are just the reporting same-sex married couples. So meaning there were far more people who were not married or not legally married or not married at all who were participating in this type of lifestyle. So these numbers are not perfect, uh, maybe a little ske- skewed that way. From 2000 to 2010, a 10-year period, that was a 52% increase. Uh, in 2021, our latest census, uh, it was estimated that, that there are 1.2 million same-sex couples uh, in the United States. Okay, that sounds like a lot. It is a lot. That's significant. Uh, that's only a 33% increase over that 11-year period, so actually slowed down a little bit. And you would think that there would have been more of that because over the last 11 years or so, during that time period from 2010 to 2011, far more states legalized uh, or recognized uh, same-sex marriages. So you would think that that would have increased significantly, uh, and it did not increase as quickly as it did from 2000 to 2010. Uh, and just, just per, per, for perspective, if my math is correct, and I am not a math teacher, so it's quite possible it's not correct, uh, but uh, with 1.2 million same-sex married couples reporting in 2021, that is one-third of 1% of the United States population. So as far as married couples... Uh, same-sex married couples in America, it's a very, 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 very small percentage of the United States population. Uh, But representatively, that is not the message that we hear, is it? Representatively, 
we are pushed by media and social media and culture that homosexuality is just a, a large portion of our culture. Well, at least according to these stats, that doesn't bear out uh, to be true. Okay, There are a tremendous amount of people, some people you know, uh, that participate in homosexual uh, you know, lifestyles and any number of other lifestyles that go into the, the, fall into the category of sexual immorality. But it's still relatively a very, very small, not even a 1% of the United States population. Okay, So that's, that's important for us to know, perhaps encouraging. But discouraging. Go into a high school, you'll interact with sexual immorality. Go into a middle school, you'll interact with homosexual or sexual immorality in some form or fashion. Go into an elementary school, and you will interact with that sort of thing. Uh, there was uh, one local school that I'm aware of um, that on, uh, I think this was the la- within the last two years, uh, there was a student, and I don't remember which direction it went. This would go to transgenderism and, and uh, gender identity. Um, there was a student who was a fourth grader at a school who left before Christmas break and was recognized as his or her biological sex, I don't remember which direction it went, came back after Christmas break and wanted to be identified as the opposite of their biological sex as a fourth grader, okay? Uh, If you think that your children or your grandchildren or the children of our community are not exposed to this, you are wrong and naive uh, and and would be foolish to think that. Please do not think that. Uh, please, please be aware that this is something that, yes, we are absolutely dealing with in Cookville, Tennessee, uh, and that we need to have answers for. And again, not berating or belittling or, uh, or being combative uh, towards individuals, uh, but certainly uh, battling against sin in whatever form or fashion that it is. We need to be aware of these types of things. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10, you're familiar with this passage, familiar with uh, verses like these, uh, but, but I want to read them to you. First uh, Corinthians 6, uh, 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then you turn over to Paul's words in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11. It says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the the unholy and godless, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral persons, for homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Okay, Uh, newsflash, the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin. We are not surprised by that, but are you aware that there would be some people who might be surprised by that? Who might be surprised that in in the New Testament, in the Bible at all, that, uh, that the Bible clearly you don't get clearer than those two passages, especially the First Corinthians passage. Uh, you, you won't, if you practice these things, and again, let's be reminded, it's not just talking about sexual sins. It's talking about any number of other sins. Uh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It, 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 it is not surprising for us, but for some people, it may be surprising. Uh, be reminded that the world outside of these walls, outside of our fellowship, is changing. Or at least it, it, it is radically different than what we would accept as acceptable. We understand and we, we grasp, hopefully, that all sin separates us from God, but not all sin is socially condemned. Uh, the world views different sins in different ways. I want to talk briefly uh, about that tonight. Again, homosexuality is just like murder. It's listed in, with murder, but it's also listed with theft. It's also listed with lying. 
All of them can separate us from God if we make them a part of who we are, if we make them a part of our life. First John chapter uh, 3 says if we practice these things, uh, then we will not be with God. We cannot have a relationship with God. It's not, that, it's not that you struggle with sin. It's not that from time to time you fail. But if we make these a part of who we are, if we practice these things, uh, then that separates us from God. But so what's the difference? What's the difference between these different types of, of sins? Let's just think about briefly murder, theft, lying, uh, and sexual immorality. Okay, what about murder and theft? Well, those things are socially condemned, right? It's not okay to murder someone. Okay? It's not okay socially, culturally, uh, to, to steal something from someone. It's not acceptable behavior, but there are varying degrees of that, right? Varying degrees of what people think is okay and what people think is, is not okay. Perhaps on murder, but certainly on theft. What about lying? Is it different there? You see, lying, I would, I would argue that lying is socially accepted as necessary. That the world considers lying to be something you have to do in order to make it through the world, in order to make it through work, in order to make it through your marriage, in order to make it and deal with your parents or deal with your children. I would say most people would accept that lying is just a part of living, but the Bible condemns it. So you see, all sin can separate us from God, but not all sin is socially uh, acceptable or socially condemned. Uh, we, we perhaps could say, perhaps some of us, uh, um, those of you who are older than me, could look back and say, you know, I remember a time when uh, you were supposed to live a life of integrity. And it's possible that you're remembering that through uh, rose-colored glasses and, and uh, remembering it a little bit better than it was. But perhaps you're right. Perhaps you're right. Maybe it really was a, a time in our culture, a time in the world's culture uh, where lying was really uh, just, just a despicable thing to do. But today, it's just accepted as a part of life. What about sexual immorality? What about uh, things like uh, drunkenness? We could say similar things about that. You know, the Bible condemns these things. Uh, but uh, condemnation or acceptance depends on who you ask. How big of a deal is it to go out and get drunk? Well, the Bible says that's a sin, and sin separates you from God. But most people in the world say, well, it's probably not the best idea, and certainly don't drink and drive, but if you want to go out and have a good time, just be careful. That's what the world says. Not what the Bible says. Sexually immoral, uh, again, a, a very similar attitude. It may not be the wisest thing to do, but hey, if you're going to go out and do it, hey, make sure you're careful. Uh, practice safe sex. Uh, and we recognize that that's not what the Bible teaches about this relationship as we talked about this morning the the intimacy the special relationship that is supposed to be taking place uh with that relationship with between a husband uh, and wife again condemnation uh or acceptance depends on who you ask these things uh these things in particular you could add you could add to this list very easily sexual morality and drunkenness and you could add many other things uh, these are widely done and i would say therefore accepted as simply a fact of life these things happen and people aren't necessarily excited about these things happening. But are you surprised that these things happen? Certainly not. It's not shocking that things like this happen. Uh, that people go out and, and get drunk. Or that people go out and have sex outside of marriage. Or outside of their marriage. You're not surprised by that. Most of the world uh, simply accepts it as a fact of life. It's been glamorized on television and in movies. Originally in 2015, I wrote, it's been glamorized on television uh, and in movies for years. I changed it today to decades, right? For decades on movies and television, sexually immoral relationships have been glamorized and celebrated, okay? And we wonder why we're in such a bad state that we are. It's boasted about in I said gossip magazines. I don't know if those things exist anymore, but uh, those types of things, maybe some sort of uh, social media uh, in the hallways of schools. And it's, it's, it's boasted about among children who once you would have described as pure and innocent. 
Isn't that maybe one of the saddest things? It's one of the saddest things for me as a, as a parent of relatively young children. You know, that, that everyone who in a high school locker room or a high school hallway, because it doesn't really happen in the locker room, no, it's much more open now, as they boast about sexual immorality, their parents, perhaps just a couple of years beforehand, would have described their children as pure and innocent. Perhaps they would have been even pure and innocent. Our, our children are, are at risk. Our children are under attack. And this is a serious issue that we want to be aware of. Again, these sins, sexual sins, uh, certainly from, from the world's perspective, from the media's perspective, from the social media's perspective, is just pushed as this is just a part of life. This is just okay. And they make us think that it's a big part of life that lots of people are active and involved in when the reality is the numbers just don't prove that out. The numbers say, yes, there are significant numbers of people, but percentage-wise, it's a very small, very, very, very small percentage of people who participate uh, in such things. These things are accepted, again, as I said, as a part of life. But hopefully, uh, these sins, these sinful acts are not liked or accepted by Christians, whether that's drunkenness or sexual immorality or murder or even lying. Hopefully, these things, you and I as Christians, don't accept them. We don't accept that it's okay. We don't accept and we, we, don't, we don't just shrug our shoulders and say, ah, oh, that's not really a big deal. Even when people who are not Christians do those things. Hopefully it bothers us still. It bothers us still that marriages are broken up because of sexual immorality. It bothers us still that all of these things, these little things that the world might say, are still contrary to God's will. Hopefully it still bothers us. In Romans chapter 1, you can turn there if you like. We're not going to take the time to read it, but I encourage you to read it at some point. Romans 1, 28 through 32. It's describing... At some point in the past, how people went from knowing God to rejecting God and God leading them into their own punishment, the consequences of their sins. Okay, when did this happen? We're not really told a timetable. We're not given a timeline on when this happened. But clearly, it could have happened very, very early on. I think since the dawn of creation, this has been happening and happens time and time again with different individuals and cultures. And here's how it goes. Again, in Romans 1, 28 through 32, they refuse to acknowledge God even though they know God. They refuse to acknowledge God. Even though they know his ordinances, they know what God wants them to do, they refuse to do those things. They turn against it, not only themselves, but then they give hearty approval to those who turn against God as well. Is that not the culture that we live in? Not only that we can look around, and again, Romans 1 tells us that his his existence has been clearly seen through creation, right? Um, And there's all kinds of thoughts about that and and those types of things. But people have rejected, perhaps even that there is a God, but even people who can look at it and cannot explain scientifically or rationally in any way, they cannot explain a way that there must be some sort of higher power. They've rejected God, even though they may have known what God would want them to do. They know there is a right. They know that there is a wrong, but they turn against it themselves. And certainly, I think this is the point in this, this flow that we're at now, that sin is being celebrated, that sin is being promoted. That sin is being uh, lauded as this, if you, if you stand up for this or if you participate in this, then, then you are the best of us. That is the way culture presents these types of things and, and fighting for these types of things. So, so how do Christians respond? How do Christians respond to, to the continued push for accepting sexual morality? Now, a lot of Christians over that, that, you know, that 2015 when this lesson was written, a lot of Christians... Prior to that and after that, a lot of Christians have responded on social media. How's that worked out? Generally not very good. Uh, As you know, you will not change anyone's mind on social media. Uh, I have friends 
uh, mostly friends from high school perhaps, but I have friends on both sides of the issue that have equally strong feelings, whether that's homosexuality or transgenderism or binary and non-binary or any other thing that you want to throw out there, any political issue, uh, drunkenness, any, anything that you want to throw out there. I have friends, might call them more acquaintances at this point, uh, that would be on either side of the issue. Uh, and and any time that I would uh, post something about it, uh, you're going to hear about it. You, you know that. You've been there, right? You, you've, you've either done that yourself or participated in that or witnessed other people doing that. And you know how well that works. It just doesn't. So how do Christians respond? Well, uh, my thoughts about sexual immorality cannot be summed up in a status, in a Facebook status, in a Twitter post, in a a TikTok video. My my thoughts and, and the complexities of Christianity and sexuality and culture cannot be summed up in, you know, uh, just a few words or just a few seconds of a video. It just can't happen. Now, there are some people out there that, that you may be aware of that do a really good job on, on making, you know, brief points and, and, and getting out there, but, but the nuances of such a topic cannot be, ta- cannot be dealt with on uh, social, uh, social media. Uh, except, I, I thought about this as, we, as I was preparing for today, uh, except perhaps, and here's something that maybe this has not been the way that I have seen Christians respond, Okay. Uh, most of the time when there's a, an issue of, you know, there's this vote coming up on uh, equal marriages for homosexuals or there's this thought about uh, transgenderism or any of, any of the stuff that comes up, most of the time we say, that's wrong, that's evil, that's bad, and, and it is wrong and it is evil and it is bad. Uh, but again, social media, generally not the way to, to, to handle it. But, but how, so how can we do it? And this is not the way that I've seen it done and, and maybe something that we can do. My thoughts on, on this cannot be summed up in a status, but, it, but maybe, perhaps, we should extol, we should celebrate the blessings of godly marriages. You know, there, there are many people out there who are celebrating what they think is righteous, what they think is good, what they think is, is upright uh, through, through their uh, cultural lens or whatever it might be. Well, when is it the time for the Christian to celebrate godly marriages? When is it time for the Christians to say, hey, my marriage is great. It's not perfect. We've got struggles. We fuss and fight sometimes. But I praise God for my wife. I praise God for my husband. When's the last time you saw positive things being said about godly marriages on social media? Perhaps something as simple as that would be a way for us to do this. What about American Christians? How do American Christians think about this? Let's think briefly about America. I don't know that I'm going to say anything that you can disagree with. You might you can see me afterwards about 8 o'clock. I'll be gone by then. Um, America was founded upon religious principles, absolutely. Uh, perhaps even founded by, by mostly Christians, I would, uh, Christian believers, I would say that. Uh, but it's also founded upon freedom of religion, and that does also mean freedom from religion. Uh, it is a representative democracy. Okay? That means that the voice of the people is heard, not just the majority, Uh, But all people are heard. And this allows us as U.S. citizens to worship, to parent, to live how we choose. And let me remind you, that is a very, very, very important thing. Yes, we have the opportunity and we should take advantage of the opportunity that we have as Americans to to vote for what we think is morally right. I, that's my personal opinion. I think that is right. When we have the opportunity to stand up for what's right in whatever way that it is, we should do that, including at the voting booth. I, that's my opinion. I think that's what we should do. But let me please remind you that if we think contextually, anything you read about in the New Testament or the Old Testament was not under a democracy. It was written to people who had absolutely zero political power. 
And they were told to do the right thing. No matter what their government did, they were told to do the right thing. So to put all of our hope in our vote is foolish. They had no vote. Many of them, especially in the first century, were not even citizens of the ruling nation. They had zero power. And they're still told to do the right thing. Okay? Take advantage of the opportunity that we have to live in the best nation that's ever existed. To let your voice be heard. But don't be surprised when you're in the minority. Okay? Don't be surprised when you're in the minority and still live for God. The book of the Bible was written to folks in ancient Rome, in in far worse places, in far immoral places than what we have right now in America. And he expected them to live the Christian life, the same way that he expects, God expects us to live the Christian life. So what's a parent to do? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. If you're not studying God's word and have it in your heart, and, and, and when I say have it in your heart, yes, I mean being able to bring it to your mind. If you don't know what the word of God says, that's foolish. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, be on the alert, stand firm, act like men, be strong, prepare, prepare, know what you believe, And be able to defend what you believe. Understand what you believe. Oppose what is wrong. What God says is wrong, oppose it. No matter the source. Whether that's front porch politics, formal debates, constitutional or representative voting. Oppose what is wrong. Do everything that you can. But again, don't be surprised when you are in the minority. We live in somewhat of an insulated bubble because we're still in the Bible Belt. Okay? If you go too far out of Tennessee either northeast or north or northwest or west, you're going to find people who believe radically different things than what we believe. We, we're, we are thought of as people who are Christians and even people who are not Christians who are in our town who have generally Christian-type beliefs. We're thought of as backwards, ignorant. All right? Don't be surprised uh, when, when you are in the minority in these types of sins or these types of things. Uh, sexual, sexual immorality is a sin. Uh, we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But let me again remind you, as I did this morning, about verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in Jesus Christ. It's a sin just like any other sin that can be forgiven. If someone deals with, accepts, struggles with, not feeling comfortable in whatever gender they may have been born into, They've got an issue. They've got an issue that needs to be addressed. I I personally believe it needs to be addressed emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Uh, But they've got something that they they are dealing with that they've got to figure out. And we need to to not uh, just ostracize them because they have different beliefs than we did. Uh, Again, it's powerful in that 1 Corinthians passage, verses uh, 9 through 11. There are people there who who had dealt with and were perhaps still dealing with homosexuality. That is specifically listed. And they're counted as brothers and sisters. Okay? We've got to figure that out. And, and the answer to that is, is not easy. Okay? Not that we say it's okay to remain in that state. But for us to say that there are not Christians, perhaps even in our fellowship, who struggle with that, who deal with that, or any other type of sexual sin, uh, again, that's ignorant and naive. And there are people who deal with that, and we need to figure that out. Uh, the time for jokes has passed. When I was a kid... Uh, the, the term gay was, was thrown around as a joke, constantly. That's just one of the things boys said. Maybe girls didn't say that, but all the time when I was a kid. That was thrown around as an insult. Okay? 
Uh, the time for jokes has passed. Uh, the time for simply dismissing it, which I think is what Christians have done for a long time, that's passed. Uh, this issue, the issue of sexual morality, is not going away. Uh, just like any other sin that is being committed by the lost, it must be addressed, it must be opposed, and hope and change must be offered. I was back home in Anderson yesterday, uh, Anderson, South Carolina. I was getting something for uh, Riley at a uh, restaurant, Chick-fil-A, of course. Uh, and across the street, there was a, a gentleman who uh, had a, a sign uh, that had something to do with opposing sexual morality, and he had a bullhorn. And he was standing on the side of the street, and he was uh, proclaiming some things. And he was, his sign I agreed with, all right? How effective do you think he was? Do you think he made things better or worse? If anything, he probably made it worse. Is, is there a time to, to protest? Is there a time to, to stand up and gather with groups of people who believe what the Bible says and, and stand up for that? I think so. I think so. There is. But we really got to be mindful of the message that not only the, the, the plaque that we're holding may say or the words that we're saying may proclaim, but how we do it and how we interact with people who are struggling with this um, be bold, but be kind. Be strong, but be loving. Recognize that people who are struggling or dealing with or accepting or living those lifestyles are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Uh, and we've got to learn how to address that. Turn with me, if you will, uh, two, two more passages and we're done. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 9 through 13. Here's the question. I want it to be a little bit practical, okay? Where do we start? Where do we start dealing with sexual sin? Where do we start dealing with sexual morality? How, where do we start with addressing uh, this sin that is prevalent, prevalent in the world today? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. If I turn there, it'll be easier for me to read. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the, the greedy or the, and swindlers or with idolaters. For if you would have nothing uh, for then, you would have to go out of this world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or greedy or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what do we have to do with judging outsiders? Are you not to judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God will judge. And then he quotes this from Deuteronomy chapter 13. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Okay, so if I were to, to summarize this a little bit, Paul says, hey, I wrote to you earlier in, in, in a different letter not to, to socialize or not to interact with sexually immoral people. And then he says, but, but I wasn't talking about people outside the church. And notice the, the prevalence that's described here. Because if you were not to interact with sexually immoral people outside the church, you wouldn't be able to interact with anybody. You'd have to be outside this world, right? So it was that prevalent in Corinth in the first century. It's that prevalent in Cookville in the 21st century, right? Uh, so he's not saying, hey, don't interact with people who are living sinful lives outside the church. Again, I've said this before, and you know this, I, I can't expect people who aren't Christians to live like Jesus. I can't expect people who are not Christians to live like Jesus. But then he goes on to say, but have every expectation that who, someone who is a Christian, they do live like Jesus. And if they don't, then you point it out to him. And again, he says uh, in verse 13, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Okay, well, I want to go over to Deuteronomy. Turn over there, Deuteronomy chapter 13, and let's read verses 5. This is uh, some very strong language. And of course, we don't, we don't live under the Old Testament anymore. I recognize that and appreciate that, and I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, but 
uh, everything that's written in the, the prior times was written for our learning, the New Testament tells us. Uh, and there is some really strong language here in Deuteronomy chapter 13, starting uh, in verse 5, that I want us to, uh, to be aware of. And again, this, uh, in, in that passage that we just read in 1 Corinthians 5, not just talking about sexual immorality, but it's covered there. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 13, not just talking about sexual immorality, but it's covered here. Okay, and let's see what it says and see the strong language. Again, in 1 Corinthians it says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Remove them, okay? Get them, get them out. Don't let them have influence on you. In Deuteronomy 13 and verse 5, uh, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against Yahweh your God who, you brought, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery uh, to drive you uh, from, the, from the way which is in the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from among yourselves. So there in verse 5, that's where he, he quoted. But then notice the relationships that he mentions here and just how, how close these relationships are and how strong of a message he sends, okay? In verse number six, if your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter, or the wife you cherish, or the friend who is, is, who is as your own soul, okay, let me read that again. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter, or the wife you cherish, or your friend who is your own soul, entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods whom neither you nor your fathers have known <clears throat> or the gods of the people who are around you, near you or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other. So he's saying anything, everything, okay? If they entice you to follow anything else other than God, verse number eight, you shall not be willing to accept him or listen to him and, you, and your eye shall not pity him and you shall not spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Uh, your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the other people. Okay, now listen, we don't live under the Old Testament. We're not commanded to stone people anymore. Praise God, right? Yes? Okay, we're happy about that. But did you see the seriousness of this? If your wife comes to you, if your husband comes to you, if your niece or nephew comes to you, if your brother or your sister comes to you, if your own child comes to you, we could extrapolate that and say your parent comes to you, if anybody comes to you and entices you and says, hey, let's do this thing that we know is contrary to God's will, will or word and contrary to God, you be the first person to let them know that's not okay. Okay, now there he's talking about, and again, this is, we can't even wrap our minds around it because we don't live in, in this, under this law and in this culture. But they, they stoned people who were sinners, right? And I... It's funny to me that uh, when that happens, they usually say they stone them with stones. I don't know what else you're going to stone somebody with. Uh, but they stone them with stones, right? And he says, with these people who are extremely close to you, you be the first one to throw the first stone. Don't pity them. Don't take it easy on them. Even these people who are extremely close to you, you be the first one. That, that's just how serious it is. So, so how in the world are we as Christians going to help people outside of the church understand how important sexual purity is? By helping Christians understand how important sexual purity is. And no, we don't stone people anymore. But we cannot... Let people think that sexual sin is okay. And that's not going to be easy. That's not going to be enjoyable. 
It's not going to be something that people are going to sign up to do. But we have to understand, as a Christian, that sexual sin is not okay. And we've done that in the past, haven't we? In our fellowship and in Christianity, we've done that in the past. And, and, and one of the results of that has been people who are, are too afraid and too ashamed to admit that they struggle with sexual sin. We don't want that either. We want to be this family that loves each other enough that I can come to you and say, and maybe I don't come up front and, and in front of the whole congregation, but I come to a brother or sister in Christ who I love dearly and who I know loves me dearly, and I say, hey, I am struggling with this sexual sin. Will you please help me? Will you please pray for me? Will you please hold me accountable? Will you please help me get through this? In the same way that someone who struggles with drinking, someone who struggles with lying, someone who struggles with stealing, or whatever else it might be, can come to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, I desperately need help. Are we there? I don't, I don't know that we're there. I don't know that we're there as a congregation. I hope, I pray, that you have somebody in your life that whatever your sin is, you can go to them and you can tell them, hey, I'm struggling with this and I desperately need help. But I know that that's not easy either. So we've got to find a balance. A balance between making people know that sin is wrong and being specific about what sin is and being gracious and merciful enough to have an attitude and a relationship with at least a few people where you can go to them and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this temptation and this sin in my life. Will you please help me? Let that be our goal. Let there be our goal to figure out what that balance is. I, I don't know exactly what that balance is, but, but I, I beg of you to have someone you're close enough to that you can confess your sins to that will help you as you work through those things. And I challenge all of us to stand up for what's right, even when it's not popular, even when it's not popular within the church. Teach the truth. Believe the truth. Know what you believe and stand firm in it. Let's pray. Uh, God, we come to you tonight, and, and uh, we've talked about this morning and tonight uh, a subject that is not really that difficult to understand, I don't think, uh, but is certainly contrary to what the world teaches us and therefore a little difficult uh, to live uh, and to implement. Lord, I thank you for godly marriages. I thank you for the, all of the blessings that, that are entailed in that, dear God. I thank you for the just everything that that a godly marriage can bring about. Lord, I, I pray that you will be with each of the marriages that are here represented in, in our congregation. I pray that you will bless them, Lord. There are good days and there are bad days and there are horrible days. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to, uh, for husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church and for, for wives to submit to the spiritual leadership of, uh, of the husband, dear God, and for that husband to be worth submitting to. God, I, I pray that you will bless our marriages. I pray that you will just, just help us, Lord, to be everything that you want us to be. God, uh, we look around the world today and, and we, we see that uh, marriage is not held in honor, that, that sex is, is, uh, is not an honorable thing at all. Uh, and Lord, we, we pray that you'll help us to, to use whatever influence we have over individuals and over communities and over our nation to, uh, to encourage right doing. But Lord, I pray much more that Christians will live right. And Lord, we know we won't be perfect, and we pray that you'll help us to all recognize that about each other and to have relationships where we can come to one another and ask for and get the help that we need, not only to be forgiven of sins, but to be helped through temptation. Lord, we know that you will help us, but we also know that, that the church is your hands and your feet, and you are, have given us each other to help us through these difficult things, God. Uh, Lord, I have no doubt tonight uh, that there are those here in this room that deal with uh, sexual temptation 
uh, sexual immorality in, in any number of ways. Lord, I help them. I pray that you will help them to know they're loved, uh, that they are cared about, and that we want to help them work through whatever that is, dear God. And, and Lord, that we, we value them, we value what they think, uh, but we all want to be conformed into the image of your Son. Lord, please help us to do that. Please forgive us for our failures in our lives and help us to be strong enough to stand up when we fall and try again to pick up our cross daily and follow after you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Tonight, if you're struggling with anything, uh, again, I hope, I want to reiterate to you that you know that we love you and we care about you. Uh, I doubt anybody's going to come forward on this one. Uh, But uh, if you're brave enough to do that, I'll be here for you. I'll wrap my arms around you and I'll help you as best I can and so many other people here will as well. Uh, But if you're struggling with it, If you're struggling with sexual sin or any other type of sin, uh, get it right. Get it right because you know that sin separates you from God and you know you don't want to be separated from God. Uh, So find someone. uh, Find a Christian that you can go to and confess your sins to. Ask God for the forgiveness of your sins and get the help that you need in whatever way that looks like. Uh, We want to be here for you. And if you do have any needs, uh, if you're ready to put Christ on in baptism and wash away any past sins that you may have had, uh, we are ready to help you in whatever ways we can. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.